0: Our reading this morning is taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, This is the word of the Lord.
1: Father, as we come this morning and hear these words, I pray that you would speak into our hearts by your Spirit and show us Jesus. Amen. This is the second installment of our series called Seeing the Sun, looking at 1 Corinthians chapters 1 to 4. In 1 Corinthians 1 to 4, Paul reminds the Christians in Corinth and us what really matters, encouraging us to refocus ourselves on Jesus. Last week we looked at how to wait eagerly for Jesus to be revealed by standing on the solid ground of God's call, being changed by God's grace, and learning to be united around Jesus, our sisters and brothers. In God's family. This week we'll see that the world in the day of Corinth, first century Corinth, had quite similar distractions to our world today and we'll see how Paul addresses that by bringing us back to the foundation of the Christian faith, Jesus Christ and him crucified. We'll see the message of the cross is foolish, weak and simple. So first the message of the cross is foolish. I spent some time trying to think of what is the most foolish thing I've done this year and uh, the one I'm willing to share with you all uh, when I was uh, I had to reach something off the top shelf in my old office and uh, being quite lazy I decided not to go through to the kitchen to get the little steps so I used my desk chair uh, which is a swivel chair and as I stood up And as I reached down this incredibly heavy box, of course, the chair span round, I went flying, I smashed into my digital piano, which was just there, and I almost smashed my head on the door handle. Mercifully, I was, I mean, I twisted my arm on my shoulder, but I wasn't actually hurt, um, although I did get in a lot of trouble with my wife, and was told to stop being so lazy and uh, to use the kitchen step next time. It was a foolish thing to do, I'll admit it, but what does it mean to be wise. The Christians in Corinth were pretty obsessed with what they called wisdom. For them, it, that meant uh, being clever or intelligent, uh, witty. They thought they could tell someone was wise by how they spoke. If a speech happened to be full of clever arguments, long words, delivered with a passion that would sway and inspire, then that speaker to them was wise no matter what they actually said. There were schools in the day that taught rhetoric, particular skills that the Greeks valued, to help you persuade people of a point of view, to help bring praise to yourself. People would praise people who were good at rhetoric and possibly even fame. It was all about presentation. didn't matter what you said, as long as you said it was style. Other Christians in Corinth cared less about words and more about wonders, signs and wonders. They wanted the experience. They wanted to see miracles. They wanted the good show, the pizzazz, the music, the lights, and the dry ice. I don't know if they had dry ice in those days, but you know what I'm talking about. Paul put it like this, verse 22. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. What do both have in common? They're more interested in entertainment, Than the truth. They preferred style to substance. They chose glamour over the gospel. And if that's what you're looking for, it's no wonder that Paul said, look, verse 18, the message across is foolishness. And again, in verse 21, um, he talks about the foolishness of what was preached. See, in Roman times, if you wanted to talk to someone or persuade someone about some new life, a new way of life, you wouldn't start with crucifixion. One of the cruelest, most brutal and utterly humiliating ways to be killed. It was so awful, in fact, that the writer Cicero, who's a Roman, said that the very word for cross should never be spoken by a Roman citizen. That is how bad it was. I think it's easy for us to forget that, isn't it? Because we mostly see quite beautiful crosses, there's some sort of, a very beautiful cross behind me, or we have a gold cross on a chain around our neck. We have good reasons for doing that, which we'll come to in a bit, but it makes it harder for us to appreciate what Paul was saying here. We preach, verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. When they heard that there was a guy coming to speak to them about new life, they would have settled in and rubbed their hands together in expectation of something spectacular. And then Paul said, come and see this man who was tortured and killed. We preach Christ crucified. That's not what they were looking for. It's not what they wanted to hear. But it's what they needed to hear. Our reading begins with verse 18. For the message of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I hope that none of you have had a house that's burned down. But if your house was on fire and someone offered help painting the skirting boards, how would you respond? If your house is on fire, you're not going to worry about alphabetizing your bookshelf. It's one of the jobs that I still haven't done, having moved into our house. You need to get out, because the house is on fire. You need someone to pull you out of the flames. That's why Paul says, verse 20, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. God shows it up for what it is. At best, a distraction. From the truth that we are perishing, stopping us from seeing that we are in danger. And at worst, it is a lie pretending to be truth. Jess and I like, a, there's a, a show that we went to see on holiday once called Something Rotten. It's coming to Birmingham soon, which we're quite excited about. It's great, some great tunes, but there's one song that makes me really cross. <laughs> And it includes this line. Salvation is yours if you do what is true to you and you do it with love. Rubbish! Be true to yourself. Do what you think is right. Follow your heart. This is what the world says is wisdom. But what if your heart is deceiving you? Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful, Above all things and beyond cure. In other words, the most deceitful thing in the world is the human heart. Friends, do not follow your heart. What we think is right can so easily not only be wrong, but dangerous. God says, you are perishing and you need a saviour. That is the message of the cross. Here is my son, he says. He won't save you from death. He'll save you through death, his own. We deserve to die. But Jesus died in our place so we might live. That is the message of the cross. And it's the message that all of us needs to hear every single day. One of my friends used to preach regularly he's he's, uh, gone into glory now and uh, his regular sermon was daily repentance and forgiveness by the end of his life that was his one message he sort of distilled all his learning all his experience down into that one message daily repentance and forgiveness it's a message we need to hear because we need to be saved the house is on fire a man lost his hat He did, Pat. He lost his hat. And he decided that the easiest way to get another one was to steal one. And as he was walking along the road, he heard a church service going on. And he went inside to see if it had a cloakroom in the foyer so he could nick one of the worshippers' hats. The preacher was in the middle of a sermon on the Ten Commandments. The man paused to listen for a while and then changed his mind about stealing the hat. On his way out, he ran into the preacher. Preacher, he said, I came here with sin in my heart, but you saved me from crime. Oh, that's great. That's the sort of thing preachers love to hear, you know. (laughs) That's good to hear, said the preacher. What sin were you about to commit? Ah, I came here to steal a hat, but your sermon made me change my mind. The preacher smiled. May I ask, he said, which part of the sermon helps you see the error of your ways? The man said, When you reached Thou Shalt Not Commit Adultery, I remembered where I'd left my hat. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So first, we've seen the message of the cross is foolish. Second, it is weak. Verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. What do you make of Paul talking about God's weakness and God's foolishness. It's not something we often sing about, is it? We usually sing, God is my strength, my shield. God's weakness? One way of reading it goes something like this. God is so wise that his foolishness is wiser than the wisest human wisdom. God is so powerful that his weakness is stronger than the strongest human strength. Now, don't get me wrong, God is, of course, supremely wise and almightily powerful. One of the most used names for God in the Bible is El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I wonder if Paul was doing something else here. After all, despite the taunts from the passers-by, Jesus didn't take himself down from the cross, but submitted himself to it. He died on it, broken and weak. So instead of saying God's little finger is more powerful than the world's strongest man, what if Paul's saying that strength isn't what matters to God? Instead of saying God's most foolish moment is wiser than the world's wisest woman, what if Paul was saying that wisdom isn't what matters to God? Look at verse, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, he says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. He carries on. Verse 27, God chose the foolish. God chose the weak. Verse 28, God chose the lowly and the despised and those that are not. It's not the most flattering description of a church you've ever heard, is it? In fact, it's pretty rude what Paul is saying about the Corinthians here. And I'm not sure that, I don't know how the process worked when you wrote your parish profile to appoint your new vicar. I imagine it didn't start with that. Come and be our vicar. We are foolish, weak, lowly, and despised. Well, it didn't end up like that anyway. Paul was deliberately bursting their balloon of arrogance. But he was also teaching them about what matters. Not... What we can do, but what he has done. Stop looking at yourselves, Paul says, and see the sun. Listen to the words he uses in these verses. Brothers and sisters, you were called. Verse 27 God chose. The foolish. God chose the weak. Verse twenty-eight. God chose the lowly and the despised. Verse thirty. It is because of Him who has become for us wisdom from God. We don't have a lot to do in those verses, do we? No is the answer. You, you are allowed. No, we don't. Thank you, Bobby. We don't have a lot to do in those verses because Jesus is doing all of it. God's people are chosen, called. We receive things that Jesus has done for us. What matters then is not whether we are weak, strong, wise, foolish, intellectual or unpopular or influential. What matters is what Jesus has done. Friends, that isn't how the world chooses people. It isn't how we choose our leaders, our MPs, our chief executives I did look at some of the stats. MPs are far more likely to have gone to a private school or been educated at Oxford or Cambridge, often both, than the average person in the street. There was one cabinet a couple of years ago where it was nearly 10 times more likely that a member of the cabinet had been to private school than the member of the population, and 50 times more likely that they'd been to Oxbridge. We don't choose our leaders like God chooses his people. That is good news, isn't it? I don't know how many of you went to Oxford or Cambridge or went to private school. God doesn't care. God says, I don't care if you are foolish, weak or lowly or even despised. And to prove it, my son will become all those things. It's no coincidence that Paul uses those four words. He's thinking about Jesus. He's thinking about Jesus. Foolish, weak, lowly and despised. See Jesus, Paul says. He is showing us the way. He came and died in shame to show that what matters is not winning, but weakness. What matters is not strength, but sacrifice. What matters is not greed, but giving. The cross undermines the world's values, the things the world prioritizes and uses to choose and reject. The cross of Christ even undermines crucifixion itself. It's taken an instrument of torture and transformed it into a symbol of beauty and life. Do you not look at that and see life? You don't see death, we see life. Because the cross of Christ has transformed even crucifixion. The church is not for those who went to the right school or who were born into the right family. The church is not for the strong, but for the weak who know they need a saviour. God does it all and then invites us to come to repent and receive forgiveness. And then he says, come, follow me. The cross is like a railway station. King's Cross, if you will. It doesn't matter who you are. Everyone has to go through King's Cross to find God. Or more accurately, Jesus goes through King's Cross to find you, to bring you home. Our part is to respond to that call by saying, sorry, yes, please. And thank you. It's kind of what happens in communion. Those three words. All happening at once. Think about it when you come forwards. We say sorry, yes please, and thank you. We've seen how the message of the cross is foolish. We've seen how it's weak, but it's also simple. I think sometimes Christians sort of act or feel as though you have to have a degree in theology to talk about your faith to someone, and so we don't. But it's simply not true. Paul was, without doubt, an effective preacher. But he wasn't a very good one, by his own admission. Verse 1 of chapter 2. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Verse 3. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise Or persuasive words. In fact, he was preaching one time, and this happened in Acts chapter 20, verse 9. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Acts 20, verse 9. All was well. In verse 10, Paul raises him from the dead. I can't promise to do the same if you die in one of my sermons. So please don't. This doesn't mean that people like me, preachers, people like you sharing your faith with your friends and your family have an excuse to be boring. It's not an excuse for that. Paul's point is that our part is simply to talk to people about what God has done in Jesus. What he's done for you. The difference that Jesus has made to you in your life. And the rest is up to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. I proclaimed to you, Paul says, the testimony about God. He was talking to people about God. For I resolved, he says, to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Friends, the message of the cross is simple. Jesus died in our place so we can have life. The message of the cross is simple. Only in Jesus can we find a life that is stronger than death because he's the only one who's gone there and back again. The message of the cross is simple, but sharing it isn't easy. It isn't a matter of finding the right words. It's a matter of faith and courage. It's a matter of trusting, as Paul says in verse 18, that the message of the cross is the power of God. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 4, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see, every time Paul says something, he's pointing at Jesus. Even when he's talking about things that he did, he's still pointing to Jesus. As we'll see next week, what he means by the demonstration of the Spirit's power isn't about miracles of healing, so if you don't heal people, don't worry. It's about revelation. It's about the way that God, by his Spirit, opens up people's hearts and minds to see the Son. Our part is to share the message of the cross. The rest is up to God. Through the cross of Christ, God shows the world a new way of life. A way that is open to any to respond to that call. Although the world may call me a fool, sometimes it does, most of the time it doesn't even care. I don't ever want to stop responding to that call. And I don't ever want to stop inviting other people to respond to that call. For I don't know about you, but I'd rather be a fool for God and have life than be worldly wise and perish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Paul and his words. Help us today to see Jesus. To see what he has done for us. To say sorry. Yes please. And thank you. And Father we ask you to give us the courage. To have faith in your power. To save. Help us. Share our faith. With those we love. Amen.